Kevin Marshall. I'm coming to you from the flagship station of FCS Nation, Fox Sports, 1450 and 92.7 KGRZ in Missoula, Montana. Joining me like he does each week is Mr. Stone Labanowitz. Stone is coming to you from his broadcast center in the sunny state of Florida. Got a big show for you today. Later on, Stone will sit down with Delaware QB Nolan Henderson. Had a couple of FBS wins last week. A lot of stuff to get to in a short time to get there. Stone Labanowitz, let's just get right to it. Up first, two FBS wins. The first one, number 16, Delaware 14, Navy 7. Stone, I watch a lot of triple option football. And the Blue Hens defense, led by that fellow Johnny Buchanan, who had 23 tackles and a forced fumble. Well, they put on a clinic on how you stop the triple option. Very physical game. Very impressive win in his coaching debut for Delaware head coach Ryan Carty. Yeah, they looked serious, Kevin. I love, love, love this Delaware team. And I'm glad they're moving swiftly down our top 25 list. Yeah, they jumped out to that 14-0 lead. Nolan Henderson, beautiful play, extended it outside the pocket, hit Chandler Harvin. Turnovers was the story of the game for Navy. Look, if you can hold Navy to 2.4 yards a carry, you've done something. I mean, they're not really sexy. They don't, you know, they're not going to throw the ball 15, 25, 30 times. But man, that Delaware defense was the superior unit and I was kind of surprised to see that. Even though I picked Delaware to win, I thought they would have to score more points than 14. But, man, their defense came to play. Up next, William & Mary, 41, Charlotte, 24. There was nothing fluky about this one. The Tribe rolled up 559 yards of total offense, including 303 on the ground. And, Stone, they wore them out. They look like the FBS team in this ballgame, did the William & Mary Tribe. They wore them out in the fourth quarter which is kind of what we're used to seeing FBS teams do to our squads. Really, really impressive victory by the William & Mary Tribe. 41-24 to over Charlotte of the FBS. Yeah, William & Mary gave us the first FCS over FBS win of the season. So proud of those boys. Charlotte paid William & Mary $300,000 to go out there and get spanked. And Charlotte, officially the worst team in the FBS. Love what the Tribe got going on. Love the energy on the sideline. Especially love the energy on the field. Mike London's done a fine job rebuilding that program. He's an underrated head football coach. Number one, North Dakota State, 56, Drake, 14. Two special teams touchdowns, one on a blocked field goal and one on a blocked punt. Well, they doomed Drake, and NDSU did exactly what we expected them to do. Yeah, and we nailed that score. I said Drake was going to cover this 45.5-point spread, and they did just barely. But like I mentioned last week, this game wasn't going to tell us anything. Cam Miller, only nine attempts, got taken out of the game early. This game went just as we suspected, Kev. Number two, Montana, 47, Northwestern State, zero. I didn't see this one coming. I'm kind of thought Montana would win the game, right? I think we all did. We both picked them. But I thought Northwestern State would at least put up somewhat of a fight. They didn't. This game was over with before the half. The Grizz were dominant from the opening whistle. And, y'all, it's hard to shut out a team in college football these days with all the high-powered offenses that are out there. But this is the second shutout the Grizz have pitched in their last six games. Their defense is serious. Yeah, finally, the Lucas Johnson debut, and he gave the fan base exactly what they wanted. Four touchdowns, no turnovers, and that defense held Northwestern to less than 300 yards of total offense. Proud of those guys. Strong number two on our top 25 list. Love the Grizz. Iowa, seven. Number three, South Dakota State, three. Man, it's hard to get to seven points without scoring a touchdown in football. That's exactly what happened in this ballgame. A field goal and two safeties for Iowa. 
and this game was U-G-L-Y on the offensive side for both of these teams. The Jackrabbits' defense, though, was just outstanding. They held FBS Iowa to just 166 total yards and just 57 of those on the ground. We said the Grizz have a serious defense. So do the Jackrabbits. Yeah, people thought this was really the story of this Iowa offense being incompetent. But little do they know that South Dakota State's defense is for real. The team in general is for real. There's not many holes. Mark Gronowski is a warrior. Went down scared everybody, came back into the game, completed some passes, and boy, did they fight. MVP of the game, the Iowa punter. Yeah, it's pretty bad when your hometown newspaper there in Iowa said that Iowa won but removed the O from Iowa. That's pretty (laughs) – I know a thing or two about troll jobs, and that one was outstanding. Number four, Missouri State 27, Central Arkansas 14. Missouri State did enough on offense to hold off Central Arkansas here. Ty Scott, fine wide receiver for Missouri State, had eight receptions for 160 yards, and the Bears' defense held Central Arkansas to just one of 12 on third down. Man, if you can get off the field on third down, you're going to win a lot of football games. Yeah, Bobby Petrino has these guys rolling. These guys are complete. Scored 14 points in the last minute and five seconds of the half. That's how you win ball games. Love what Jason Shelley's doing. He looks comfortable. He looks confident out there. Look out for Missouri State. Number five, Sacramento State 56, Utah Tech 33. 1,168 combined offensive yards in this football game. Woo-wee! Right? I mean, I figured you'd like that one as a former quarterback. <laughs> This was a really good win for Sac State, but man, those numbers have to be of some concern to Hornets fans. The defense is going to need to be better if Sac State is a legitimate contender, not only for another Big Sky title, but perhaps for a plane ticket to Frisco in January. Got to be better on the defensive side of the ball. Offense looked good. Kev, you put it out on Twitter. If you listen to us, you win some money. We said Utah Tech, formerly Dixie State, was going to score points. That air raid offense is filthy. But yeah, we knew Sac State was going to run away with this one at one point. Good start to the season as they look to three-peat as Big Sky champs. Just too much for Utah Tech, but man, did we nail this scoreline. Number six, East Tennessee State, 44, Mars Hill, 7. The Buccaneers rushed for 304 yards, and Southern Conference preseason offensive player of the year, Jacob Saylor, scored three touchdowns. Run the ball, put it in the end zone. Pretty good equation for success. ETSU did exactly what they were supposed to in this one. ETSU is scary. The secondary is a problem. And I just love that the energy these guys brought out there, 20 to zero to end the first quarter. We have them ranked at six. They're going to slowly move down there. Dare I call these guys contenders. Number seven, Montana State, 40, McNeese, 17. The Bobcats had an extremely dominant third quarter, and that opened up what was a close game in the first half. An extremely close game. McNeese State, they belonged. I think they're going to be better this year. Lane Sumner rushed it for 176 yards, and QB Tommy Mallott was 11 of 19 for a buck 63 and two touchdowns. Run the ball, passing game was there. A lot of those 50 50 balls again, but Mallott looked a lot more polished throwing the football against McNeese than he did the last time we saw him. You're right. McNeese looked up to the task early on, but Lane Sumner, 21 carries. You mentioned a buck 70. He was a problem. They could not stop him. I like this Montana State team going forward. Honorable mentions from the past weekend. Samford beat Kennesaw State 27 to 17. Somebody may have called that on a national radio program. <laughs> and and Idaho, well, you know what? They were in that ball game with Washington State until the final whistle. They lost 24 to 
17. Jason Eck comes in there to Idaho. Bad culture. Maybe he's fixed it in six months. That looked like a completely different Idaho team, Stone. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. From watching on the outside, you wouldn't be able to tell that this was FCS versus FBS. I thought they put up a good fight. I thought they contended for most of this game. And yeah, I think they're worth an honorable mention here. And here is the FCS Nation top 25 this week. Number one, North Dakota State. Number two, Montana. Number three, South Dakota State. Number four is Missouri State. And rounding out the top five, the Sacramento State Hornets. Number six, East Tennessee State Buccaneers. Number seven, Montana State. Number eight, Chattanooga. Number nine is Delaware. And number 10, rising with a bullet, Jackson State. Number 11 is Incarnate Word. Number 12 is Villanova. 13, Eastern Washington. 14, Tennessee Martin. And number 15, Southeastern Louisiana. Number 16, the Mercer Bears. Number 17, Southern Illinois. Number 18, Richmond. Number 19, Northern Iowa. 20 is Weber State. Cracking the pole for the first time in a while. Number 21, the Samford Bulldogs. Falling to number 22, Kennesaw State. Entering the pole at number 23, the William & Mary Tribe. South Carolina State at number 24. And for the first time ever in the history of their football program, Campbell Camels are a top 25 team, at least in my book, coming in at number 25. We'll be right back. You're listening to FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Network. Thanks for hanging around through the break. Let's check in now with head coach Ricky Santos from New Hampshire. A, uh, a fantastic game between the Wildcats and Monmouth last Thursday night. You guys rallied for a 31-21 win. Before we get into particulars, just uh, your feeling after looking at film about the way your team played. I thought they played extremely hard. Um, you know, we finished the game you know, with 114 yards in the in the fourth to their 14 and outscoring the Hawks 14 to nothing. I mean, it wasn't clean by any stretch of the imagination, but we knew that was going to be a heavyweight bout. Uh, Mom is extremely well coached. You know, they were they were everything is advertised, played extremely hard. You know, their quarterback, Tony Musket, you know, is as good as there is at this level. Um, we did a good job kind of mixing up some defense uh, disguises, some different things we hadn't shown on tape uh, to kind of confuse him a little bit. But was proud of the way our defense played. And, and in particular, our special teams unit, you know, came up huge in that game. You know, anytime you can score a touchdown in all three phases, um, that's pretty unique. And, and we were excited about that. Two touchdowns for you guys in the final 620 to, to come back and get that one as you've Put your own stamp and start building this program. How much momentum do you gain from a game like that? Well, it's good. And I think there was a lot of teachable moments as well. You know, I mean, it's not just all the good things. We really got to harp on the negative things that, that we didn't do well if we want to win consistency consistently in this league. You know, too many pre-snap penalties. Um, you know, defensively, we got to do a much better job when, when the opposing team gets into the red zone. And on offense, we got we have to be way more efficient on first down. I thought we were in, you know, obvious pass situations too much in that game. And, uh, you know, we put a lot on, on Max Brosmer to kind of, you know, win the game with his arm there when it was obvious that we were going to drop back. So definitely some things we got to clean up as well. First question this morning from Justin McIsaac. Good morning, Justin. Morning, Rob. Good morning, Coach. How's it going? Hey, Justin. Uh, just wondering what you thought of Max's play. It looked, uh, from my eye, like he got stronger as the game went on. Uh, made a couple well, – it looked a little rusty at first, but by the fourth quarter, he looked like uh, we saw him in his true freshman year. What did you see from your eye? Uh, Justin, I think that's exactly right. I mean, he was uh, – came out – you know, might have been pressing a little bit early. I just I think it was just hadn't played, you know, live game action in, in nearly two years. Uh, he settled in, you know, the the one interception early. 
I think it was more of a, a good disguise by Monmouth than it was a poor decision by Max. It was, you know, third and medium. We were expecting, man, you know, they bluffed and, and played a two deep zone and the corner kind of sat there in the flat. So great, great defensive uh, scheme there by Coach Callahan and their guys. And, um, you know, after that moment, he made some plays to, to get us back on the board. And then, you know, in, in the second quarter, we missed some in the early third, we missed some throws that were uncharacteristic of him. But then ultimately, you know, like true competitors do, we found ways to make some elite passes in the fourth, um, you know, layered a couple, uh, one ball in particular over the middle to Sean Coyne and then the, the deep ball. Um, you know, to to Andrew Edgar there at the end to to get the go ahead score was just as good of a throw as you're going to find. So yeah, I was really proud with his resolve and mental toughness to keep fighting. Rick, we talked uh, before last week's game about Dylan Lave and all the talent uh, that he has and different ways he can help your team. And you guys got him the, the ball in a variety of ways: 146 all-purpose yards and two touchdowns. Uh, just talk about how you guys like to use him and and how. Uh, how nice it is to have a guy who can help you in so many different ways. Yeah, it's great. I mean, he, he he's a Swiss Army knife, and I, and I think for us, we have to be better on first down running the ball. And I think what happened was, you know, as I mentioned, we got an obvious passing situation, so he only had about sixteen carries or so. So we'd like to to get him over twenty and get him more involved in the run game. Um, but I also think Monmouth front seven did a really good job taking away some stuff for us. So we had to get creative, find ways to get him the ball in the pass game. Um, and then, yeah, you know, he's going to be our starting punt returner as well because, you know, he had a 35-yard return, um, you know, which basically, you know, it's getting us three first down. So I think if he can continue to make plays on special teams like he's been doing, you know, that's just adding so much more value. It's those hitting yards that, that you got to win if you're going to be competitive. One more on the offensive uh, side. A, a big night for your tight end, Kyle Lukowski. Seven catches, 121 yards. Um he and Max seem to have a pretty good connection. Just maybe talk about the game he had. Yeah, I was really proud of, of Kyle. And he was, I, I mentioned in the uh, the post-game speech after some of our local reporters, he was banged up the last week and a half of camp, uh, hurt his ankle and Achilles a little bit. So he missed some time, uh, but he's a gamer. He He's done it for us in the past. You know, he's somebody who we feel like and poses a, you know, a mismatch and we could take advantage of some things when, when he's getting covered by guys at the second level. So, um, yeah, he just, he found some, some soft spots in the zone all night. And, you know, he had some really tough physical catches. Like he got popped a few times from on his safety, held on to it, you know, um, where in years past he'd get hit and wasn't as, as strong as he needs to be at the reception point. I think he really made a concerted effort this off season to get bigger, to get stronger in his core and his legs. And, and it showed out there in the opener. Question for you from Kevin Marshall with FC, FCS Nation Radio. Go ahead, Kevin. Coach, who stood out for you on the offensive line? Um, you know, I thought Patrick Flynn did a really good job. Our, our senior captain, you know, he's somebody who's in his career has played all five different positions. Now we got him at left tackle, obviously a pivotal spot with a right-handed quarterback. Uh, Osho Omanyeni did a really good job, you know, moving him into center. Um, obviously, we, you know, we had a three-year starter the last couple of years, so it's first time doing it live, making all the calls. You know, I thought in particular we did a really good job in pass protection. The unit overall, we only gave up one sack. That was in the red zone when they brought an all-out all pressure. Um, we felt like we had a quick answer there, and maybe we could have got the ball out of our hands. So I think it was a great job by them overall, and, and a really good job in particular by our offensive coordinator, Coach Scott, You know, designing plays that were going to get out of Max's hands quickly uh, to protect those guys as well. Rick, let's switch to the other side. Your defense holds Monmouth to uh, seven points in the second half. 
And as you mentioned, you forced or you came up with three interceptions against a really good quarterback in Tony Musket. What were you able to do scheme wise to slow them down? Uh, just switching up some different coverages behind some base pressures that, that we hadn't shown in the past. You know, got to give credit to Coach Garrett Gillick and the entire defensive staff. They worked extremely hard putting together a really good plan that week. Um, something that was simple enough for our guys to execute, but also, you know, complex enough where we were going to give Monmouth a little bit of fits. Um, I think our defensive secondary in particular did a really good job disguising things. Um, and then at the end of the day, you know, you, you have to get to a quarterback like that, you know, under three seconds. You got to make him feel uncomfortable because if he has time, he can really pick you apart. And he showed that where he made some really elite throws throughout the game. Um, and I got to give credit to, to Randall Harris, you know, getting that, um, you know, game defining interception there in the fourth quarter to ultimately pull away and, and hold the victory. So, you know, he's done a tremendous job coming in since he's transferred in here. Uh, his leadership role has, uh, has been insurmountable for us at the defensive secondary and couldn't be happier for the young man. <laughs> You touched on a little bit, but um, your defensive line was able to get an awful lot of pressure. Nico Kivik has had a great game. Josiah doing what what he did. Uh, did you think you guys could could get that much pressure on him? Uh, it, it's a unit that we have to lean on, and if we're going to win games consistently in this conference, they have to be you know one of the most productive units on the field. So yeah, I mean, regardless who we're playing, we knew Monmouth's offensive line was big, physically imposing, very tough, extremely well coached. Um, but that that's our you know that's our level um, that we that expectation level that we have of those guys up front that they have to be that way and they have to be relentless every single week. And then finally, uh, you touched on a little bit in your opening comments, but uh, certainly a big special teams play, the block by Josiah and the return by Charles Briscoe. Um, having a guy like Josiah, everybody knows what he does uh, on the defensive side of the ball, but having him on a punt team like that uh, obviously paid dividends. Is that something you saw going into the week or just a, a big play by him? Uh, big play by him. You know, give credit to Coach Garrick McLaughlin, our special teams coordinator, first time having, you know, all the units under his control. He's done a great job getting the guys ready all preseason. But I think first and foremost, it shows if, if we're going to put an All-American like Josiah on, on uh, a special teams unit, you know, all the younger guys, you know, on the team, uh, it just shows that the onus that we're going to put on teams as well. You know, you have to win it in, in three phases if you're going to be competitive. Um, and that's, you know, that's no different for for what we expect out of our guys. And Josiah shows that, you know, he's going to make plays with the defensive unit, but also he's going to, you know, he's on our punt team as well. So he's definitely going to make plays on teams. Hi there, this is Flash from Bikers Against Bullies USA, and we are a not-for-profit group created by bikers, but not limited to bikers. We are committed to creating awareness and educating both kids and adults on the benefits of living in a society of respect for each other combined with self-empowerment. Bikers Against Bullies USA was started in Missoula, Montana. The very real fact is that kids are kids, and they're dying by their own hands each week due to the insidious nature of the psychological and emotional trauma created by today's bullying attempts. Our personal philosophy is that one dead child is one too many. I personally ask you to stand up, support us, and by doing so, you're making a difference. We cannot change things without you, your support, and I thank you in advance. You can get a hold of us at BikersAgainstBulliesUSA.com or Facebook, Bikers Against Bullies USA. Thanks for hanging with us during the break. Listen to FCS Nation, the Palmetto Radio Network. Levanna with tonight to take a quick trip all over FCS and preview some of the biggest games taking place around this country in FCS football this week. Up first, 
North Carolina A&T travels to Fargo to take on the number one ranked North Dakota State Bison. You know, Stone, I think we all missed out on seeing a spectacle when North Carolina A&T was originally scheduled to come and play this game a couple years ago, but it got postponed due to COVID. They had a squad that year, a serious squad. This team doesn't look to be as good. They got beat by North Carolina Central last week. So they're going to kind of come limping into the Fargo Dome, which is not a place you want to come limping into. (laughs) A lot of people have uh, come into that building sky high and come out limping. So we'll see what the Aggies can bring to the table. I don't think they have anything to lose. I expect they'll throw out all the stops here, you know, some trick play fake punts. I mean, you have to throw everything you can at this North Dakota State team, especially when you're a little bit undergunned and outmanned, which I think the Aggies are here. But this will be a good test for them, and they need a win. Look, you're going to start 0-2 if you're North Carolina A&T, and that really puts you behind the eight ball in your conference. The margin for error becomes very, very thin if you want to be a playoff team, which I think a lot of people thought North Carolina A&T was just maybe a month ago. Yeah, same old story for these bison. And I'll tell you firsthand, the Fargo Dome is the last place you want to come limping into. I know that. North Carolina A&T transitioned to the Big South, now the CAA. The transition has not been fun for these guys, and Saturday will not be fun either. South Dakota travels to Missoula and Washington Grizzlies Stadium to take on the number two Montana Grizzlies. The opponent's a little better for Montana this week. South Dakota was in the preseason poll of ours, but they dropped out due to some teams having huge wins last Saturday. So I think they're a fringe top 25 team, and they'll push Montana. This ought to be a game where the Grizz are going to do what they what they always try to do, run the football, rely on the defense, and play great special teams. But you know what, Stone? You said it in the first segment, bro. Lucas Johnson's a player. He gives the Grizz something at the quarterback position they haven't had in a minute. He can go out there, and if it's third and 10, third and 12, when everybody knows that you're going to throw the football, with that group of wide receivers he has, he has the talent to put it where the ball needs to go. And if the Grizz can have that, With that defense and the way Bobby Houck coach teams play special teams, they're going to be hard to beat. It's going to be hard for South Dakota to do that in a very hostile environment at Washington Grizzly Stadium. Yeah, Lucas Johnson, I'm afraid for the South Dakota team that he's gotten the jitters out. He's going to be comfortable. He's going to like the film he watched. Easy mistakes to correct. I think he has his way with this defense. Most importantly, the Grizz got to defend the den, and I think they do so here. I think they roll, and I think they play a clean game. UC Davis is at number three, South Dakota State. Stone, we saw this game in the playoffs last year, didn't we? And it didn't go well for UC Davis. It was a 56-24 to victory for the Jackrabbits. I don't know if the Jacks will put up 56 points, but I know this. They're ready to see a different defense than Iowa, that's for sure. And Davis, I don't believe they're as good as they have been the last two or three seasons. I think this may be a year where Davis isn't a playoff team, but you never know in the big sky until those teams start playing one another just how good anybody is, especially when you have teams like Davis who are not shy about scheduling good teams, good FCS teams out of conference. They're going to hit the road, take on South Dakota State. Should be a good one. Dan Hawkins, you know he'll have his boys ready to go. Yeah, I'm afraid the Jackrabbits are a little banged up, though. It seemed like every other play, some guy was on the ground, grabbing an ankle, grabbing a knee, grabbing a hamstring. Felt bad for those guys. The guys in the trenches, those are not the guys you want to see week one, but I think experience and the veterans they have all over that roster take over. 
The question I do have, though, is Mark Gronowski healthy? How serious is that injury? But yeah, South Dakota State knows these guys. There's easy film to go back to. They saw these guys recently. I think South Dakota State does their thing. Number six, East Tennessee State travels to Charleston to take on the Citadel at the General. Well, to say that I was disappointed in the performance of the Citadel Bulldogs last week would be putting it very mildly. And the things that I said while they were playing, Stone, well, I don't believe anybody could categorize those as mild. It's not please, sir, I might tell you. But triple option is the great equalizer, and they did not look good running their brand of it against Campbell. But I think some of that had to do with Campbell, too. They had some dudes on the defensive line and at the linebacker position. They were tough to push off the ball. East Tennessee State, look, this is a football team that won the Southern Conference Championship last year, ranked number six in the country. You should be able to go down there to Charleston and handle your business. But there is no such thing as an easy football game at the general against the Citadel Bulldogs. Ask anyone who's ever played there. Going to be a monsoon, too, probably. Tons and tons of rain are called for. And in a monsoon, it's anybody's game, Stone. I'll tell you what, if you're a Citadel fan, fan of the Bulldogs, be afraid. Be very, very afraid. ETSU is just a buzzsaw right now. I'm afraid. I, you know, I, I say that confidently, too. I love these guys. They were flying around the field. I think they scheme up that triple option and kind of have their way with them. Like you mentioned, SoCon champs opening up SoCon play. But you're right. They got to go into the general. And we're going to get some bad weather here. So if Citadel can keep it on the ground, control the clock, get first downs, generate third and shorts, this game could get interesting. But at the end of the day, I think the Bucks roll. Rub it in, Stone. <laughs> Moorhead State is at number seven, Montana State. You know, look, Moorhead State, they'll play you. That's for sure, right? I mean, they're they're not afraid to sign a contract and come across the country to take on the Bobcats. I expect this one, it probably won't take a dominant third quarter for Montana State to pull away in this one. Too much Tommy Malott, too much of that running game. Good, strong, fast, flying to the ball defense. Montana State should handle their business, but we'll see. Uh, Moorhead State, again, you know, make sure that they put the state on the end of the check because, you know, Montana pays pretty good to come out here and play them, you know. Both Montanas do. In this case, over in Bozeman between Moorhead State and number seven, Montana State. When your strength is running the ball, week two is when you see those holes get bigger and bigger, right? You got to kind of get out the kinks. You got to kind of get out the things in camp that you hadn't seen live against another opponent. That happens in week one. You get in the film room, you get in position meetings, and you figure that out. I think Montana State keeps the ball on the ground, plays to their strengths, and get out of here with a huge victory in Bozeman. Delaware State is at number nine, Delaware. This is a good game for that small little state of Delaware. These two teams, I'm glad that they put this game on the schedule a few years ago, and I hope it continues. Uh, I've heard people say that, you know, this game is, is a bigger deal for Delaware State than it is for Delaware, and it probably is. But if you're Ryan Carty, you just knocked off an FBS squad, man. Can't afford to sleepwalk against anybody. Got to keep the intensity up. I'm sure he's telling them that in practice this week that, you know, that team can hurt you if you don't come out and play your football game and be ready to play both physically and mentally. Should be a good ball game for a while between Delaware State and number nine, Delaware. But too much Nolan Henderson, and I believe too much of that fine Delaware defense for Delaware State here, we'll have to see. You're right. Too much Nolan Henderson. I think they backed that FBS win over Navy 
up. I loved what they were doing. I loved the vibes and the energy and the body language I saw on the sideline. Chandler Harvin's a problem. I don't know if Delaware State's going to have an answer for him on the outside. And I think Delaware, speaking to Nolan Henderson, you're going to hear him say a few interesting things about this Delaware State game. I asked him, you know, what games do you have circled? And he said, first of all, Delaware State circled, right? We're never supposed to look ahead of the schedule. And he also mentioned another game. I can't wait for the audience and all the listeners to hear. But Nolan Henderson seems dialed in, and they're going to handle business here against Delaware State. And this next one, it intrigues me, y'all. Number 10, Jackson State versus Tennessee State from Memphis. Now, Tennessee State, they came all the way across the country, and they looked pretty good against Eastern Washington. Eastern Washington needed to score there at the end to beat them. Draylon Ellis, he looked good, very good at the quarterback position for Tennessee State. And you know what? At Austin P, he didn't really use his legs a whole bunch. And at Tennessee State, they're going to ask him to do that a little bit, some some design quarterback draw, you know, uh, get him around the edge. Jackson State, what can you say? They looked like a top 10 team last week against Florida A&M. And Florida A&M came into that game feeling really good. You know, national darlings after, you know, what they had been through. Got some of their defensive players back. Got some of their offensive line back. And Stone, Deion Sanders and Jackson State went through Florida A&M like Sherman went through Georgia, man. It was ugly, and 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 you kind of wanted it to stop. You know, like all these games that had lightning delays, man, th- that one should have had one because, I mean, it just didn't stop. They kept pouring it on, and Florida A&M could do nothing to stop it. Tennessee State, they played a high-powered offense last week, Eastern Washington. They're going to see another one this week. Man, that's two back-to-back tough games to open the season for them. This should be a whale of a game. Yeah, when I'm watching this Jackson State versus FAMU game down in my neck of the woods, I've been I was asking myself the entire time, where are these guys bad? Where is their weakness? I just don't think there's much you can do. I think that the you know viciousness, the energy that these guys constantly bring at all positions is no fluke. Shadur Sanders had his way with FAMU to the point where he took off his pads and put on an eighty thousand dollar necklace on the sideline. These boys were. Sm- smiling, calling him the best quarterback in the country. I think he ended the game 29 to 33 nearing 400 yards, five touchdowns, started the game off 17 of 17. So I think the ball keeps bouncing their way. I definitely think they're better than just being ranked the top 10 team in the country. I think these guys have a lot in store for us, and I think we need to start paying attention to this Jackson State team. Number 11, Incarnate Word, is at Nevada of the FBS. Stone, I know it was your boys last week, and it was kind of an odd game with the lights going out and, you know, lots of, Lots of scoring, but Incarnate Word is for real. That was not a fluke. Lindsey Scott Jr. is a player, and we both tried to tell him, didn't we, Stone? Yes, we did. We tried to tell him, and the Word showed up, beat a really good Southern Illinois team, and look, they're kind of salty too, bro. I mean, they were throwing 65-yard passes up 25, 30 points with two minutes to go in the game. That's salty, man. That's like Dead Sea salty, dude, <laughs> and, and I kind of like that. You know, I'm all for sportsmanship and having class, but man, you know, it's the defense's job to stop you, and that's what they do. This will be a very interesting game. Nevada, pretty good team. Incarnate Word, I think a really good team. This one's got me scratching my head a little bit. I I, I couldn't agree more. I am scratching my head. I cannot wait for this line to come out. I can't wait to see what Vegas does with these guys. Kev, we tried to tell him how serious Lindsey Scott Jr. was. He put it down on my SIU boys. There's nothing 
that this kid can't do. There are no holes in his game. And I think they have the tools offensively to keep up with the Wolfpack. You said it. I agreed with it. I am scratching my head as well. The word are for real. And I've got a little bit more hair than you. So people <laughs> will know if you're scratching your head, bro. <laughs> Because they'll see the marks, right? <laughs> you know. Up next, number 12, Villanova is at Long Island. Nova looked really good against Lehigh last week in all three phases of the football game. I expect that to continue against Long Island. Not a whole bunch to see here, I think. I will see a Villanova win, I do believe. Not much to see here. Villanova's going to roll, and I think they want to crack the top 10. I think they want to be deemed as a top 10 team in the country. Playoff caliber team, we all know that. So they're going to get business done here. Number 13, Eastern Washington is at Oregon. Oregon's offense did not look good last week. Eastern Washington's really did at times. Gunnar Talkington did a fine job. He is a competent quarterback, and that system, man, if you can sling it, that's the place for you, and he certainly can. Interesting game here, uh, maybe for a half, three quarters, but you never know. Eastern Washington is a giant killer. They've been here and they've done that. Tough spot for the Eagles is a bounce back spot for Bo Nix and the Oregon Ducks. But you said Gunnar Talkington is competent. I agree with that. 46 pass attempts. He looked sharp. He looked like he knew his reads, knew where to put the ball and when to get it out. But yeah, this one's going to get ugly. I like the Ducks here in the bounce back spot. Number 15, Southeastern Louisiana is at Florida Atlantic of the FBS. Is this another scalp? Possibly. But Southeastern Louisiana, we're so used to seeing them put up gaudy offensive numbers, Stone. Didn't see that last week against Louisiana, who I think is probably maybe better than Florida Atlantic. We'll have to see. But I really expected them to put up points, to score touchdowns, 500 yards of offense. We just didn't see it. But the defense looked a little better. I don't know. Maybe this is just an odd Southeastern Louisiana team. That's going to be better on defense than they are on offense. We'll have to see. Yeah, expected a lot more out of Cephas Johnson in that offense. Tough matchup here with the Florida Atlantic Owls. Nikosi Perry, I think, is second in yards passing in the entire country when it comes to FBS football. So fear these guys. I have a close eye on Florida Atlantic. My host, who I work with on a daily, does their play-by-play. And he's intrigued for this matchup. He knows I do this show. And he's giving me the inside scoop. He just says there's just too much hope. There's too much faith. There's too much energy in this FAU locker room. So I liked C-Law last week. I don't like him as much this week. And look, you're Florida Atlantic. You can't throw your jersey out there and beat anybody, right? Right. I mean, you know, it's not like they're Miami, you know, getting off buses and fatigues and stuff. So uh, I'm intrigued by this one. I think it'll be a good game. South Southeast Missouri, SEMO is at number 17, Southern Illinois in the war for the wheel. Stone, what is the wheel and why are they fighting for it? <laughs> the, okay, so SEMO and SIU are split by a river. You have to cross the river to get to each school. So the shifts that they used to cross the river with, I guess, is, you know, that's where the wheel comes from. I think that's about as far as the history goes, or at least as much as I know. So uh, huge, huge rivalry game here. I expect Saluki Stadium to be packed. And guess what, Kevin? Turn on ESPN+. Plus. I'm on the call Saturday, 7 p.m. I'll be wearing a suit and tie. I am doing color. I'll be in the booth calling this game. I cannot wait. Folks, that is worth the price of an ESPN+. Plus subscription right there stone labanowitz tv star man i'm here for it we'll be right back you're listening to fcs nation on the palmetta 
Radio Network. RW Stump Grinding, Central Virginia's premier stump removal company, strives to be professional, courteous, and fair. Founded in 2017 by Reggie West, RW Stump Grinding provides quality stump removals to protect your largest investments, your home and property. Attempting to remove stumps yourself can be dangerous and time-consuming. Trust the pros at RW Stump Grinding to get the job done right the first time. Call RW Stump Grinding at 804 804- 366-4321 or look them up on the web at rwstump.com. And remember, if a stump has you stress, call Reggie West. Winter is coming. Will you get this question again this year from your loving spouse or cute, cuddly children? Why is it so cold in this house? Can't we turn up the heat? Please listen to this. Renewal by Anderson's awesome Winter is Coming sale is on. Winter is coming. Don't suffer again. Buy one window or patio door. Get the second one of equal or lesser value for 40% off, plus an additional 5% off the entire project. If purchased on the initial consultation, it's amazing. And you'll not pay a dime for a whole year. No money down, no interest, no payments for 12 months. Payments as low as $89 a month. Invest in your home. Heating bills are only going up. Renewal by Anderson's windows and patio doors could cut your bills significantly. Please do not wait, though. This sale ends October 15th. Renewal by Anderson's winter sale is on. Please visit rbamontana.com. That's rbamontana.com to schedule your in-home consultation and get ready to hear these words this winter. It's so comfortable in here. By the way, have I told you lately how much I love you? rbamontana.com. Hi there, this is Flash from Bikers Against Bullies USA, and we are a not-for-profit group created by bikers, but not limited to bikers. We are committed to creating awareness and educating both kids and adults on the benefits of living in a society of respect for each other combined with self-empowerment. Bikers Against Bullies USA was started in Missoula, Montana. The very real fact is that kids are kids, and they're dying by their own hands each week due to the insidious nature of the psychological and emotional trauma created by today's bullying attempts. Our personal philosophy is that one dead child is one too many. I personally ask you to stand up, support us, and by doing so, you're making a difference. We cannot change things without you, your support, and I thank you in advance. You can get a hold of us at BikersAgainstBulliesUSA.com or Facebook, Bikers Against Bullies USA. You're listening to FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Network. Welcome back, guys. Don't Lebanowitz. Each week, I reach out to a QB, and this week, I caught us a good one. Last week, it was Mark Gronowski. This week, the signal caller for the Delaware Hens, who just cracked our top 10 on an FCS Nation top 25, Nolan Henderson. Nolan, what's going on, boss? Not much. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing good. I'm doing good, man. I've been looking forward to getting to talk to you. Huge win over those Navy midshipmen. And I know typically a coach gets mad. He doesn't want the media coming and asking his players. So I'll make it quick. You can make it quick as well. You guys beat Navy 14-7 to in a low-scoring affair. Your guys' first FBS win since beating nobody else but Navy in 2007. Initial thoughts after that game. What was going through your head when that clock hit zeros? I mean, yeah, it was an awesome experience um, in general with you know all the things that go around at pregame at Navy and the just the traditions they have and being a service academy. I, it was, you know, we, the whole 
you know, all season we kind of had that game circled as the first game. Our whole mantra was beat Navy, beat Navy. And, wow. Um, to see that, you know, the the clock's at double zero, is a, definitely was a great feeling. And um, being able to celebrate with my teammates and also it being Coach Cardi's first win, it was you know, a huge win for our program, huge win for our guys. And I think a picture you're going to be able to show your sons or daughters is the picture of you slinging the rock with the cadets in the background. I don't think it gets much filthier than that. Nolan, I, I want to ask, though, you know, initially, all right, looking back, I know you probably watched the film one time and then you guys are told to throw it away, but how and why did you guys beat Navy? Well, I think the first and foremost is our, our defense played a tremendous game, um, giving up only seven points to um you know, an option offense is, is a very, you know, difficult thing to do. Um, and then we just made enough plays. And uh, I think there's a lot to be said, too, with this talent level that's on this team. I think there's a lot of misconceptions um, about the talent levels from FPS to FCS. I think uh, we kind of proved that, that we can kind of play against anybody. It wasn't a clean game um, by any means, but I think um, between our defenses – uh, you know, performance and on offense, I was making enough plays to win the game. I think we kind of showed what we're capable of. And you mentioned your head coach, Ryan Cardi. Giant coaching debut, first dub, and he drops the F-bomb immediately after the game. What is Ryan Cardi? What does he bring to your guys' team? I feel like from the outside looking in, a fresh young face. He's hip. He's down with it all. You know, what does he bring to the table for you guys that you haven't had in the past? Well, I think you saw it right there. I mean, the, the energy that this entire staff and Coach Cardi bring every day, it's, um, it's contagious. You know, it's, it's a young staff. Um, a lot of them are alumni of University of Delaware, so they have a lot of pride in this university and kind of a lot of uh, understanding of the tra- tradition that we have here. And um, I mean, each and every day, it's just it's fun to be on this team with the you know the energy that each and every one of the guys on this team and on this staff bring. I think it's um, it's a fun place to play, and you know it's it's definitely exciting um, for our future and for the now. I think. We're in a good spot. Um, a lot of great people around this program. I think it's, you know, the sky's the limit with us. Guy's definitely the limit. I think the Delaware Hens have officially arrived, cracking the top 10. And I feel like you guys probably would say, we've been arrived. I mean, we've been here. Nolan, I asked Mark Gronowski the same thing last week. He was a guy coming off an ACL injury right back into the lineup. You're a guy who's had to deal with plenty of injuries, whether it's your knee, your shoulder, recently coming off groin surgery. First game back, you beat an FCS team. No big deal. But I asked Mark, you know, what have you learned from being in the dark? What have you learned, whether it's physically, whether it's mentally, whether it's in the film room, the classroom, X's and O's, what have you learned from, from being sidelined and coming off of injury? Because I personally have had to do the same thing, and I think that's when I grew the most. I think, I, I think it's a great question. I think I grew up as a leader. Um, you know, as being the quarterback and, and being a leader on the team, you, you often think about your biggest impacts being, you know, the things that you achieve on the field and what you do on the field. Um, but, you know, with that being stripped from you, um, you gotta, you gotta find different ways to help your team win and be there for your guys. And, um, also it's kind of develop a different perspective and appreciation for this game because it can be taken away from you very quickly. So I think last year kind of taught me to, I have more to give outside than just my play, you know, my play on the field and, you know, how to be a, a great leader. And, um, I think it's helped me tremendously. It's obviously something you don't want as a player. You always want to be on the field, but, um, I appreciate that for um, you know increasing my leadership abilities and my appreciation for this game. Nolan, you're speaking like someone who's been on a uh, roster for six years or something, or maybe like a graduate student, somebody who already has their degree. <laughs> That's just yeah. really well said. Really well said, Nolan. That's kind of where you know it leads me next. Like I just said, you're a six-year senior. You're a captain. Last year, you were all CAA. 
you graduated, you got your degree. For Nolan Henderson, what is the goal for you this year? Well, the goal is to win a national championship. Damn I think, right. Uh, everyone on this team kind of has the same goal in mind, and you know, every, everything outside of that will come. But I think that's the main goal: is just to win a national championship and. You know, win every game you play, the next week's always the most important one. So This is a question that I couldn't have waited to ask. I'm just going to drop it in the middle. Take me through the play. You drop him back. Forgot what down it was. Rolling left. Turn your body and you let that thing fly. I believe to take a 14-0 lead, which was eventually the go-ahead. But take me through the play call, what defense you saw, and what made you look like Patty Mahomes. Yeah, we, we had a four-vertical call, and uh, we actually covered it up pretty well. Um, brought pressure up the middle. I had to kind of get flushed out to my left. Um, and then our receiver, Chandler Harvin, um, did a great job working with me. Once I broke the pocket, kind of a scramble drill and was able to kind of sneak behind his uh, defender. And then um, you know, I kind of had two guys chasing me down. I tried to flip my hips as fast as I could and throw it up there. And, uh, you know, luckily you know, Chandler was able to run underneath it and, and kind of score what ended up being the decider of, of the game. So. It's just really cool stuff to hear it from your voice. It's awesome. It was a, it was a great play, Nolan. It really showed your athleticism. I'm glad you're healthy, and I expect this from you all season long. You mentioned earlier, you know, in one of your first answers, that you had Navy circled. That the motto for weeks and months was beat Navy. What game? Because now Navy gets crossed off. It gets an X on it. What game now is circled on the back end? And I know this is a tough question. It's an annoying reporter media question because you're really just supposed to say the next one. But if I could just take a peek behind the curtain into your brain and, and the Delaware Hens, what game is really circled next? Well, we have in our locker room. We have two clocks on the wall. We have uh, one for the next game, which is Delaware State, and then one for uh, the University of Villanova. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we want Delaware State. But, you know, there's a reason we have two clocks on the wall. You know, it's always a focus to beat Villanova and, um, you know, bring back the Battle of the Blue Trophy. Um, but, you know, as of right now, our, our full focus is on Delaware State. There it is, folks. Stone Lobano is of FCS Nation here with Delaware Hands quarterback Nolan Henderson. Nolan, I cannot thank you enough for your time. Looking forward to seeing what you guys have in store for us in your playoffs. Deep run, expecting a national championship. I have that much faith in you and those fans and your team, brother. I appreciate you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You're listening to FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Network. And we're back. You're listening to FCS Nation on the Palmetto Network. Many thanks to Melvin Henderson for being available for interview him this week. Learned a lot, Stone. I like that young man. I'm liking this series that you're doing with the quarterback each week. Getting better and better. Looking forward to next week. Who will it be? We don't know yet, but we'll figure it out. It's now time for the pick segment where Stone and I will go head-to-head and we'll pick some of the games we broke down in segment three. Up first, North Carolina A&T. Is that number one, North Dakota State? 38-14, buys and roll. Same old story. It's a bit tougher of an opponent for the Bison this week with the Aggies coming to Fargo but the result will be the same. Take NDSU at home, 42-17. South Dakota is at number two, Montana. I like Montana, 30-14. to Britt's offense looked great last week. We know, and we knew the defense was going to be outstanding. Too much here for the Oats. Take Montana at Washington Grizzly Stadium in front of 27,000 people, including Kevin Marshall. Grizz, 35-13. UC Davis is at number South Dakota State. Get right game for the Jack Rabbits. I like them 24-17 over UC Davis. Davis isn't as good as they were last year. 
and the Jackrabbits need to get that offense going, I believe they will. Jacks win at home, 31-17. Number six, East Tennessee State travels to Charleston to take on the Citadel at the General. This one's going to hurt, Kev. The boys are opening up SoCon play. Give me the Buccaneers 35-14. to 14. The cadets did not look good last week against Campbell, but you mark my words, folks. Campbell is going to make a lot of people not look good on offense. And ETSU, they looked great. You know what, Stone? Perhaps the Citadel can fire their cannons as a distraction because really that's the only thing that stopped ETSU last week if you saw the video of that on SportsCenter. Uh, I, it, it hurts me to have to do it because I would like to go home again. But take ETSU on the road, 28-17. Moorhead State is at number seven, Montana State. Kev, the Bobcats are going to sink their claws in early against this Moorhead State team. Give me the Bobcats, 35-14. No letdown for the Cats. Montana State wins 42-10. Number eight, Chattanooga is at Eastern Illinois. I like Chattanooga here. I think they're one of the teams that I'm going to continue calling a buzzsaw. I like Chattanooga 30-14 to here. The Panthers looked improved from last year, and they, before it's all said and done, may be a good team. Chattanooga answered some of the QB questions, which was really their only question mark coming into the season. They'll put up some more points this week, and the Mocs will win 38-21. Delaware State is at number nine, Delaware. Love this Nolan kid. You guys heard him. He's wise beyond his years. I think this team is serious at making a deep playoff run. Nolan said they got their eyes on a ring. I like Delaware. Give me the Blue Hens 42 to 20. Have to be aware of complacency after the big win last week by the Blue Hens. Delaware State, they'll fight, but the Hens will win 35-10. Number 10, Jackson State versus Tennessee State in Memphis. Jackson State, Kevin, is serious. We've talked about it. We've seen it. These guys are going to continue to put points up and break scoreboards. I like them 50-10 to 10 over Tennessee State. Know that score is a little high and 10 a little low for Tennessee State. I just don't think there's much they can do. And once Jackson State gets going, there's nothing you can do to stop them. I think it's going to be a little bit closer than that, Stone, but I think Jackson State will win. I expect this to be a really good game. Lots of star power on the sidelines and on the field for both squads. I think the difference in this one will be Sanders, both of them. Take Jackson State, 42-31. Number 11, Incarnate Word, is at Nevada of the FBS. I'm going to make this claim. Lindsey Scott and that Word team going to have a lead at some point, and there are going to be a lot more people tuning in once they see that. I like the Wolfpack closing it out late down the stretch, 38-31. to Not me, sir. Not me. This is going to be a sneaky good game. You're going to want to check out this game wherever it lies at. The word is going to put up points. The only question is, can they get enough stops on defense? I believe they can, and I believe they will. Upset special of the week. Taking Carnet Word, 42 to 38 over Nevada. Number 12, Nova is at Long Island. Give me Villanova, 40 to 7. They're going to impose their will on this Long Island team. They can't handle the Nova. All Nova in this one. Take the Cats on the road, 38 to 10. Number 13, Eastern Washington is at Oregon. Like I mentioned earlier, bounce back spot for Oregon. The head coach, Dan Lanning, said that they know this team likes to air it out. Oregon has the secondary to put the blanket on top of these guys. I got Oregon 48-21. to 21. Ducks looked terrible last week. The Eagles looked great, but there's just too much talent for Oregon, though. The Ducks will win 48-31. Number 15, Southeast Louisiana is at Florida Atlantic of the FBS. Looking for C-Law to score more points than they did last week and show us more than they did. But I like FAU coming out on top. Huge fan of Nikosi Perry, the signal caller for the Owls. 
Give me FAU, 42-28. to 28. I agree with you here. But the Lions need to get that offense rolling. They'll look better this week. They'll look more on that side of the ball. And their defense, I believe, is a little bit better than it has been in the past. Not going to matter a whole bunch today, although I think this one will be close. Take Florida Atlantic, 38-31. to 31. Southeast Missouri State at Southern Illinois in the war for the wheel. Kev, immediately after this game, Nick Hill called his team's performance embarrassing. But I'll tell you this. He never backs down. SEMO plays a lot of man coverage. They're going to be stubborn. They're going to show a lot of one-high safety looks. Expect Nick Baker and Southern Illinois to get things going through the air. A lot of deep completions, high yardage between both teams. I like SIU squeaking this one out, 35-31, and I cannot wait to see it with my own eyes. Salukis need to play better on defense. And SEMO, you know, they looked offensively challenged versus Iowa State last week. And for the fighting stone Labanowitzes of Southern Illinois, that's a good combination. Take the Salukis, 31 to 21. Number 22, Kennesaw State is at Cincinnati of the FBS. Tough spot here for Kennesaw State. I think they're outmanned in the trenches. Reminder, Cincinnati was a college football playoff team last season, like the Bearcats here, 42 to 13. Kennesaw State got pushed around by Sanford up front last week. That will continue this week. Take Cincinnati, 42-20. Number 25, Campbell, is at number 23, William & Mary. Campbell's defense is nothing to joke around with. I like the Campbells getting it done 24-21 against the Tribe. I agree. Take Campbell on the road at William & Mary. Camels, 27, Tribe, 24. That brings us to the end of another episode of FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Network. FCS Nation is produced by Mr. Justin Swallows, co-hosted by Mr. Stone Labanowitz, and the marketing director for FCS Nation is Ms. Stacy Marshall. On behalf of all those good people, I'm executive producer and host Kevin Marshall, thanking you for making FCS Nation a small part of your football week. And like I always do, y'all, I'd like to remind you that life's a lot like football. To play by the rules and the penalties won't kill you. Until next week, so long, everybody. You're listening to FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Network.